Well, good morning, uh, Parker's family. It's great to see you again and welcome back to uh, another week of our series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you're just joining us this week, uh, let me give you the briefest of summaries of the first two weeks so that you're up to speed with where we are. We looked in week one uh, at this wisdom from Solomon uh, given to us uh, from God through his lips, uh, recorded for us in Ecclesiastes. And week one was all about how our lives are short and temporary. We're sort of like a breath. Uh, and Solomon went to work in the first round of shattering our illusions of permanence and control and of novelty and how those things uh, would satisfy us and help us find what we're ultimately looking for in our search uh, for meaning. And last week we we dug a bit deeper into Solomon's sort of lifelong experiment of everything that he tries uh, throughout his life in this search for meaning and looking at all created things to see if those would fully satisfy him. And uh, this week we move uh, into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So uh, I would encourage you to grab a Bible uh, in a minute. We're going to read together or a phone or something so you can, as I say every week, you can see <clears throat> the text that we're looking at um, together. This is one of the most uh, beautifully written uh, parts of Ecclesiastes and it'll probably be uh, familiar to you uh, if you've been uh, at a funeral or a memorial or, or sometimes at a wedding. Uh, this passage is often read, uh, it's included in speeches and so you may recognize it and may not have known where it comes from, but it comes here from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 and this morning Melisizwe and Abby are going to read the scriptures for us, and so I'm going to hand over to them. The mystery of time. There is an occasion for everything, and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to rebuild. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Thank you, guys. As I said, it's a beautiful uh, passage of scripture and there's a lot for us to gain from this, a lot for our uh, hearts to receive and our ears to hear. And so let's dive into this and see uh, what God is saying to us for our uh, strengthening and our encouragement this morning. 
I just really have two major points this morning. It's fairly simple. And the first point that I think we can draw out of this that Solomon is wanting us to see and that God is wanting to impress on our hearts is that, is that life is complicated. Uh, life is complicated. Uh, as adults, we sometimes bemoan uh, the good old days. You know, when um, if you have kids, you know, you look at their life and you just think, your life is just so easy. You've got no stresses, no pressures. You know, you hear adults saying, I just want to be a kid again, just run around. You know, without any shoes on, you know, not a care in the world, your parents or whatever else, they all got to worry about stuff. All you do is play and, you know, there's a longing for the carefree days of youth. Um, and as we worked with teenagers and students over the years, uh, and recently the, the term, uh, the term adulting has, has uh, come across our path. You know, you see these young, these young guys coming out of a school or varsity into adult life and they, they talk about adulting. It's, it's for, the, for those of you who are a bit older, it's basically just life. But they've called it adulting. It's like fancy term. That like These are all the things that you, you only do when you're an adult. And now you're suddenly having to pay your own bills and look out for yourself and make your own food. And all these like hectically uh, intense adult things. And they long for the yesteryears when things were less complicated. And as we grow, this is, a, this is a part of life, we become increasingly aware that life is complicated. Life is, life is complex. It's just a, it's a natural growth path uh, for all of us. And what Solomon is pointing to here in Ecclesiastes 3, he gives us this beautiful, beautifully written list of, of these uh, comparatives. And he says, there's a time for this and a time for this and a time for this and a time for this. And he, and he goes and he engages the breadth of, of our human experience. What he's putting before us here, it's not exhaustive, obviously, but it's just a taste of, of the breadth of what it means to be a human being. But as Solomon contrasts some things here, uh, some things sound great to us. Um, other things sound uh, less so. Uh, as you go uh, through that list, maybe as you look down at it again, you know, if we had to go through that and um, design your own life, you know, I can see already which ones I would pick. You know, I would certainly pick laughing over uh, weeping or mourning. I would, I would certainly pick dancing uh, over the mourning or the weeping. You know, building definitely sort of sounds better than breaking down. Sewing sounds better than tearing. You know, there's, there's you know, killing, healing. There's ones that if we went through and designed uh, our life, we could engineer our life um, and have only the things that we wanted in it, we would probably lean towards um, the positives there. So what we have to ask this question, what is it that makes life so hard then? Uh, Solomon has given us this, this snapshot, these, these phrases that capture some of the breadth and the expanse and the beauty and the complexity of life. Uh, and there's, there's good and bad things in there, and there's easy and difficult things, but what is it that makes life so hard uh, then? And I think there's two things in there as I've reflected on this. The first is there is uh, an, an inability for us to control the season that we're in, an inability for us to control the season that we're in. Some of these things that Solomon mentions here will just happen to us. We're unprepared for them. They're unexpected. They don't come announced. They just happen. And some of you will have experienced that. Maybe even recently, maybe you're going through it now. Where um, 
suffering or hardship or you know not positive things whatever they could be they may not necessarily have the intensity of massive suffering but they're just not things that you would want to happen in your life they didn't announce themselves you couldn't prepare for them they have just happened to you and as humans we are sometimes i don't want to use the word victims but we are sometimes recipients of things that are just going to happen in the world to us and we're not prepared for them we can't expect them and they're unannounced and this can unsettle us this can deeply unsettle us because we realize we have very limited control as we've said in a couple of weeks we have very limited control over what actually comes and washes up on the shores of our lives and the difficulty here is that you can't perfectly engineer your life you can't perfectly engineer your life you may even acknowledge to say well doug as i as i look through that list you know, I'm not one of those people who, I don't want a perfect life. I don't want all that, just that happy stuff. I've realized and I've learned that, you know, there is something to be gained in, in the mourning and the weeping and, and, the, and the difficulty and the hard struggles. I, I realize that. Um, but what, what we do is that in our heart of hearts, we would prefer if we could engineer our lives. But we can't. You know, you can't say, well, on Monday will be my day for uh, rejoicing and dancing and laughing. And uh, I'm gonna, uh, I re recognize the, the value of it. So I'm blocking it some time on Wednesday afternoon for morning and some weeping. Uh, I'm gonna limit it to sort of 30 to 40 minutes. Maybe I'll do it over Zoom and then, because it can kick me out after 40 minutes and then I'll be done, then I'll be done with it. And, and you know, it'd be great if you could just compartmentalize your life and just have that then and know when that's coming then and we can navigate all these seasons we could be ready for them that we could anticipate them we could you know expect them and be prepared and brace ourselves for these things and know that it won't last because you know we're moving on to the next thing in our in our diary okay morning weeping whatever it is you're done with i'm back to laughing sewing building all that other stuff and we cannot perfectly engineer our lives and this unsettles us as human beings because we deeply love to control and it gives us this just this eye-opening realization that we're not fully in control of our lives god is somebody else is and just like uh, in the natural world we have limited control over the seasons uh this the, the same is true in life and uh moving on to the second thing uh that makes it hard for us is that we have a lack of wisdom around what is best. We have a, a lack of wisdom around uh, what's best. Some of the things in Solomon's list there um, are not things that happen to us. They're things that, that we choose to do. Uh, but when you look at that list, you can sometimes think, well, I don't quite know what I should do. And it's, it's not that we're living our lives according to a list. In Ecclesiastes, we just go through life. But as we go through life, sometimes we don't know. Uh, whether we should, as Solomon uh, would say, whether we should speak or, or be quiet. Um, you engage in a situation, should you say something or should you shut up? Uh, no, normally you should maybe shut up, but there's times to speak. And now we don't know whether we should speak or be quiet. Should we, should we keep searching for something or stop searching for something? <laughs> That's on his list there. Um, you know, should we go to war or should we make peace? Is there a time when we should stand up and go to war or should we always be seeking peace? Um, he says there's a time to embrace and there's a time not to embrace. Um, it's interesting that, you know, COVID-19 restrictions were sort of, and advice was already prophesied in the scriptures. Now is not the time to embrace. We heard from our president that 
Um, you know, kissing is a thing of the past. Um, and as a father of a teenage daughter, all I just want to say is a loud yes and amen uh, to that. We can keep that regulation going <clears throat> for quite some time. You know, what do we do? do? Do we keep things or do we throw them away? As you go through your house, maybe as you're still in lockdown, you've done spring cleaning. You look at things, you say like, well, should I keep this or should I toss it? You know, does it, what's the, what's the thing? Does it spark joy? You know, that's the easy thing. If it doesn't spark joy, off it goes. But, you know, we need wisdom around the normal things of life. And because we lack it so often, we don't really know what we should do. And life is complicated. We have to acknowledge we don't always know what the best option is. And it can make life very difficult um, to navigate and find a firm footing. That's part of what makes life difficult and hard for us. So here we see right off the bat that life is complex, is beautiful, but it's varied and very complicated. And we need lots of God's grace in it. But here's some encouragement from Solomon for us. And this is the second point that God's purposes are perfect. God's purposes are perfect. There's the breadth of human experience that Solomon is sort of tapping into and pointing us towards. And we've spoken about why life is hard as we confront that and not necessarily being able to control it or knowing what to do in wise choices. But here we see God's purposes being perfect. Think if you're a parent uh, with me or if you uh, remember being a kid, uh, what it was like having your parents and now talking to the parents is just easier for you to understand the million things that you do for your kids that they don't necessarily understand or appreciate. And maybe at the moment that's particularly sensitive because in lockdown maybe you're doing more for them than ever before. And maybe they don't fully appreciate it all. And some of those things they push back against. You know, depending on the age of the kid, you can have a real um, you know, standoff against them. And they don't really understand why we're wanting them to do whatever it is, you know. I've got a teenage daughter and two sons. And if I got paid 10 bucks for every time I asked my sons to go and bath, and had to re-explain to them the value of personal hygiene and why it's a good idea they should go and bath for the first time in I don't know how many days it is, you know. Just like, dude, if you're going to live in this house, you're going to visit that bathtub on a regular basis. It's just how it's going to work. You know, and the, the fights around bathing, you know. This is only a thing that I think you struggle with kids. Like I think as people get older, some people like to bath and lie in their own dirt. Um, you can see that it's not in my list of things to do. Uh, but you know, you fight with your kids and while they're young, they don't understand. With, with age and with maturity comes some perspective. But with kids, they don't under, understand and appreciate some of the things that are done for them or they are asked to do or to endure. They have limited perspective as children. And the same has to be said about us. We have limited perspective. We have limited wisdom. We have limited sight over what is best for our lives. Some people just want to camp in one season. And, uh, you know, you'll, the world is divided into various groups of people. You may be one of those winter people. I don't know if you are a winter person. Um, but if you are, your tail will be already wagging. Uh, if you live in Johannesburg, at the changing of the seasons here and you're busting out all your jerseys and, you know, all your winter gear and getting super excited that, you know, the temperatures are cooling and stuff, you know. And I'm not a winter person. I don't like winter people, you know. There's a special spot for you people in Siberia. You can all just move there and have year-long uh, winter. I'm a summer person. Summer shines out of my heart. And I think we're God's favorites. Um, but, you know, 
the winter people, when you speak to true winter people, they'll say things like, I wish it was like this the whole year. I just wish it was cold. I hate the heat. You speak to summer people, they're like, oh man, I hate winter like me. You know, just want it to be summer, spring the whole year. But just like in nature, uh, you can't just have one season the whole year. There's a reason for every season. That sounds corny and didn't mean to come out that way. But there is a reason that God has put seasons into the natural world because they serve a purpose. And there is a reason why God allows different seasons into our lives, just like in the natural world. They have purpose. And, and this, is, this is something that we need to allow to filter deep down into our hearts. That whatever we're going through has purpose. I think some of the hardest thing for people facing any kind of difficulty or struggle or any stage of life is to think that there's purposelessness. There's no reason for what they are enduring or going through. And as the, the Christian gospel and God's word just brings us a message of hope. It, it totally changes our perspective um, and our view of the world and of God and of ourselves. That there's purpose. There's purpose in whatever we are going through. Have a look in verse 11, what Solomon says. He says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. There it is. Everything appropriate in its time. Some of the translations of the scriptures translate that word appropriate to be beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. The, the, the original language favors appropriate. It's appropriate in its time. So if you're experiencing something, whatever it is, God's word would remind us that it's appropriate. You hear often people saying it's, it's not the right time for this. I just wish whatever this is, I don't have time. I don't have time for this. Well, I wish it wasn't this time or this person was before their time or this person was, you know, we lost this person too early. You know, we have a, I understand what they, they're saying and what we're saying sometimes in that. But sometimes what we're saying in that is, I just don't have time for, for this, what I'm going through. If, if I was running the world, if I was in charge of my life, I wouldn't be allowing this to happen. But the truth of the scriptures is whatever you're going through is appropriate for the time. God has made everything appropriate in its time. There's a season, there's a reason for everything. There's a season for everything. And whatever God is allowing into your life or allowing you to go through is appropriate. It's not that God has taken his hands off the universe and said, good luck, you know, I hope it goes well. Call on me if you need me, but I don't think I'm going to intervene. You know, I've set this thing in motion. No, the, the message of the scriptures is that there's an appropriateness from the hand of God over your life. Everything that you're going through is designed by him for a purpose. There's no purposelessness for those, particularly those who love God and long to follow him. Look at what else he says there. No one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. No one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. God works in ways that we can't figure out and understand. You know, we may have, because of our limited wisdom and perspective, uh, differences of opinion, if you want, with God. Say, like, God, I wouldn't have quite done that in that order. I wouldn't have put myself in that family. I wouldn't have allowed my work situation to go like it. God, I wouldn't have allowed that suffering, that abuse, that hardship, that poverty, that whatever to come into my life or into those that I love or whatever. You know, we'd engineer life differently. But we have to acknowledge that God does what he wants. He sees the end from the beginning. No one is going to understand. No one says this. No one's going to discover the work God has been doing. 
No one putting God on trial and saying, Hey God, come now. Become clean with why you're doing this and why you're doing that. You have to answer to us. God doesn't answer our questions. He doesn't owe us an answer. He's God. That's what makes him different from us. He doesn't, doesn't have to come and explain to himself, you know, apologetically saying, oh, I'm so sorry, Doug, you know, this is why I allowed this and why I allowed that. I, I hope it's okay and I hope you're not too angry with me. He's God and he can do whatever he wants. And as we, our perspective shifts there, we realize that we're in the hands of a good father and a perfect God who does love us and is working everything with purpose and for a season that's appropriate in its time to fashion something deeper in us um, that he couldn't possibly do in any other way, particularly if we had the controls of our lives, suddenly our eyes start to open a little bit. And, and I don't want to, for a minute, minimize the suffering that some of you have gone through or may be going through. There have been some deeply painful and, 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 and wearying and troubling and hurtful situations and experiences that you've had to go through or going through. And, and the message of the scriptures is not, not that God is blind to those or insensitive to those, but it, it's, it's far harder to answer the question um, that if, you know, the conundrum that if God's not responsible for them, who is? If God, God's either sovereign or he's not, he's, his hands are either over it and around it and allowed it into your life or there's nothing. Because, and it's more disturbing if not, because then he can neither intervene nor help nor change your circumstance. And so we have to resign ourselves Onto God's sovereignty with joy and with peace and say, God, anything that comes here in your hand comes with purpose into my life. It says there, there's eternity in their hearts. He's put eternity in their hearts. We have this longing to be in God's position, to design and to understand what God is doing. But we can't because we are limited. We are humans and God is God and we are not. Verse 14, Solomon continues. He says, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking um, from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Here is something so important for us to see. Verse 14, God works so that people will be in awe of him. My friends, that's why God has arranged the seasons of your life in the perfect way that he has. is so that you and I will be in awe of him. We will come to a position of reverence and worship. We will see him for who he is. We'll see him in his power, his authority, his sovereignty, his control. And we will bow our knees. We will bow our hearts, our lives, and we will acknowledge. And, and not just receive this as like this fatalism. Say, okay, well, you're God. We're not. We're just going to sit here and suffer and just like, okay, well, this sucks. But like, I mean, you're God and you won't let us argue with you. This is lame. But you're running the universe and we're not. And so this is just rubbish. But I mean, we can't change it. No, no, it's different. It's a view of God's character and his nature. You, we've got to hold those in tension. God's power and his love. They come, they come together perfectly and they're equal things in his nature. God works so that people will be in awe of him. That's God's design in all of this. So we would come to be genuine worshippers of him but also that we would come to trust his character and his and his wisdom and his goodness we read in romans 8 verse 28 it's a verse we know well as we've worked through romans 8 multiple times it says we know that all things work together for the good of those who love god who are called according to his purpose 
all things working together for good. It's a, it's a bedrock we need to get into our hearts, into our lives. All these things are working for the good of those who love God. And we've been called according to His purpose. Purpose. There's purpose in it. It's not random. It's not out of God's control. It's out of our control maybe, but it's not out of His control. He is doing something there. And we love those kind of verses. Ah, God's in control and He's working. And it's lacquer when everything is going well in our lives and when things are good. And it's easy to say that, like a hashtag blessed. You know, we're easy. It's easy for us to acknowledge God when things are going down and the blessings are raining down and we're hashtagging on Twitter, whatever. You know, we're blessed and we're just so grateful for God's abundance and His grace over our lives. But it's a completely different story when we're going through the valley of suffering and difficulty and hardship to say, I'm hashtag blessed. Thank you, God, for this. Um, and I, I would acknowledge that it's something we grow towards, but I do think it's God's design because it's part of His purpose. Listen to this quote from a, a guy called William Law. He was a Church of England a priest in the 1700s who Joni Erickson Tata uh, has memorized this quote. That's where I came up uh, with it. She is suffered from quadriplegia uh, for 50, 60 years and is a great blessing to the church. And this is a quote that she has memorized. I found it reading one of her books. It says, he says this, Receive every inward and outward trouble, every disappointment, every trial, every uneasiness, every darkness and desolation with both hands as a blessed occasion of dying to self and entering into a fuller fellowship with your Savior. Look at no outward, no inward or outward trouble in any other way. Reject every thought about it. And then every kind of trial will become the blessed day of your prosperity. He's talking about spiritual prosperity there. That state is best, which exercises the highest faith in and fullest resignation to God. What is he saying there? We receive everything, everything, every hardship with both hands from God because it's through those things that we become spiritually rich. It's the day of our spiritual prosperity. And we reject every other thought that pops into our heads that says, God doesn't love me. God is against me. God has abandoned me. Uh, we, we actively train our minds to resist those lies and push them away and say, thank you, God. We grab it with both hands. We reject everything else. So we put our faith in God and we resign ourselves fully to his authority and his love and his kindness and his mercy over our lives and his purpose for us in every one of these seasons that he brings. If it's from his hand, it's for our good. We can act like children and uh, there's different ways that children act when they you know when you deal with them they can throw a tantrum uh act like self-entitled brats and my kids never do this but i've heard other other people's children carry on like this and you know, it's appalling um that you could throw tantrums ah you know i don't want to do this i don't i want this and just like dissolve on the floor and just you know puddle of tears and stuff Throw a tantrum. But there's another way to act like a child. Another way to act like a child. I was trying to convince John the other day to jump off the roof. 
um, let me just explain context here. I was standing next to the roof and he was on the roof and I was asking him to jump to me off the roof, not just encouraging my son to throw himself headlong off our roof. And he's terrified of heights. The poor guy's only six. He's terrified. And I was saying, but, and I was saying, look in my eyes. Look here. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And he's like, yes, yes, yes. I said, then jump. Jump. He's like, oh, I don't want to jump. Oh. I said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Just jump. Jump. You know, my appeals to him were on basis of my character and our relationship, not on his fears. And a way to act like a child is for him just to jump. And for, me to, and for him to trust me that I'm going to catch him. That's another way to act like a child is to trust our father because we know his character. We know what he's like. We know that he's good. We know that he loves us. We know that he's kind and merciful and patient and he's working all things to good uh, for our good. We can trust him because he's our father. That's the way to act like a, a child is to either throw a tantrum when we see what God is doing in our lives or to look at him as a father and say, Okay, I may be terrified here. I may not understand the reason for this season that I'm in, but I trust you. I'm looking at you. You're my father and I know that you love me and I'm trusting you in this. As we close this morning, I would encourage you to find uh, some time again, like I say every week, carve out some time to spend some time with the Lord to understand what season you're in at the moment. What, what, what is God doing in your life? What are the various things that are happening? So that you can lean into those things. Not that you can just recognize them and accept them, as I said, in a fatalistic way. It's like, okay, well, you know, whatever, God's doing this. No, no, so that you can understand the season and you can, you can learn everything God's wanting to teach you in this. Whether it's the season of joy, uh, laughing, or dancing, a building, whatever it is. Or, or a season of weeping and sadness and loss and struggle and trial and sickness. Whatever it is that God's allowed there God is waiting for you to teach you things that he couldn't teach us in other seasons. That's the whole reason for the appropriateness. Why he's allowed it for that time is to teach us something we wouldn't learn in any other classroom setting, as it were, and in any other season. There's things you experience in summer that you can only experience in summer and in winter that you can only get in winter. As we close this and before I pray, I want you to remember that Jesus was willing to submit himself to his father. He was willing to do what his father wanted in the face of massive suffering. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the purpose of the father and he was able to resign himself to that joyfully and willingly to say, Father, I trust you and I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to go to the cross for these people. I'm going to become sin for them in their place so that I can forgive them and we can offer them salvation and secure their salvation and we can invite them into this fellowship with us where there's intimacy and joy and peace and secure eternity of relationship together with them. But it only comes about as Jesus submits himself and resigns himself to his Father's will and to his Father's purpose and he joyfully does that and his obedience brings about the salvation of many. And so it's our privilege to follow Jesus in that, to not just resign ourselves with fatalism, but to trust him and to accept in faith that God knows what he's doing. He's working all of these seasons in your life for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together, my friends. Father, I want to pray for each of us listening this morning. 
thank you for the assurance in your word that every season of our lives, everything that you allow, uh, we're reminded, comes from your hand. And it doesn't just come from your hand, but it comes with purpose and it comes with meaning. It's appropriate and it's beautiful in its time. And you're the one who controls those times. And so I pray that you would give us grace again this morning to both discern what you're doing in our lives at the moment and to lean into what you're trying to teach us. That you would give us a grace to endure the difficult things and, and the difficult seasons that those particularly who this morning are, are facing massive struggles and trials and feeling weighed down and feeling maybe you've turned your face away from them. I pray for grace for them to realize afresh that they're in your hands and so are so is the season that they're going through. It's all part of your plan for their flourishing and they would learn what you wanted to teach them and they would encounter you in new and fresh ways in the midst of the season. And for those who are just thriving, that they recognize that it's not of their own doing. Even these are from your hands. And we would worship you and rejoice in you and love you for, for that. And we would see this fullness of, the, of our expression as what it means to be humans is coming from you for great purpose for us and glory to you. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your son. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name.